This is Monday, the 22nd of March, and we're continuing learning about this higher Christian life with the desire this week especially for us to develop that desire for something deeper, more authentic, more kinetic, more personal, more intimate with the Holy Spirit that will lead us to a point of crisis in our life where we cry out and say, Lord, I want more of you. I want this higher Christian life. I I want everything that you have for me. And therefore, during this process of self-examination, which we'll hopefully look at next week, and prayer and repentance, I can prepare my heart to receive more of you as the Lord of my life. I'm excited about sharing that with you this week. So let's go ahead and get started. One of the things we just barely introduced yesterday at church was the fact that there are many who desire this higher Christian life that find themselves failing. They fail to achieve it. They fail to experience anything different. It becomes frustrating. It becomes to the point, I don't even want to do this anymore. We become bitter and angry at those people who claim to have a life different than the one that they shared with us when we were kind of the same. And so we develop these theological walls, these firewalls that keep the Holy Spirit from convicting us and moving us into a deeper relationship with Him. Most people fail at desiring the higher Christian life. And they do because it demands something of us. It demands a commitment. It demands a self-examination, which is painful. It demands a cost to be paid. And more importantly than anything, it demands a desire, a deep desire to be more like Christ. Now, let's be real honest. None of us likes to fail at anything. We always talk about the fact that we're winners and not losers. We tell our kids, I I know my mom told me this all the time I was growing up, that if you put your mind to it, you can be anything you want to be. You can be just as successful as you want to be, however we define success today. I mean, we don't do anything to fail. Everything that we do, especially if you have kind of an entrepreneur spirit, everything that you do is designed to win. We're risk-taking to win. The cost is worth the potential benefit. Therefore, we win, we gamble, we invest, we, we do whatever we do because we think that the benefit, the result of that mitigates any possible downside or liability to the cost. I mean, we don't start a business to fail. We don't start a diet to fail. We don't start an exercise program to fail. We don't enter into marriage to fail. We don't join a a team like a high school football team to be cut or sit on the bench. Failure is not an option. If failure was an option, we wouldn't even try. We would just stay at home. I can't do it. It's not going to work out. It's just woe is me. But none of us do that. We always assume we're going to win, at least those that try, that uh, put on their sneakers and actually get out on the court to play. But if you read the testimonies of those people, especially like I focus on those that lived 150, 175, 200 years ago in the Philadelphia church age, tried and true saints of God that we all trust. George Mueller, D.L. Moody, Spurgeon, Finney, uh, Andrew Murray, 
Oswald Chambers, Amy Carmichael, Hudson Taylor, and all those great heroes of old. If you filter through all their testimonies about their struggle with this higher Christian life, from the time that they realized that they needed it to the time that it actually was given to them, sometimes they failed at it multiple times over years before they actually achieve success. I mean, why is that? Why why isn't that when you pray that God will immediately just grant that prayer? I mean, that's how we live today. That's the name it and claim it world we live today. That's our best life now today. But in reality, when you look at the way he treats the saints of old and even the saints today, it never works out that way. I had the same question about my own salvation. I've shared this with so many of you that I came to a realization of my need for Christ when I was 12 years old. And I walked down the aisle of a church, and I allegedly got saved. Of course, I know I didn't at that time. And and I kind of lived my own life until I turned about 18 years old, and I realized at that point in time that what I was living was a fraud, and I truly wanted to embrace Christ. And so I asked him to come into my life. I acknowledged my sin. I asked him to forgive me of my sin. I acknowledged him as Savior. I recited the historical facts about Jesus. I did everything I had been taught in church to do, and nothing happened. I knew I wasn't saved. Other people told me I was saved because I said the sinner's prayer, but I knew I wasn't. I I attended dozens of different churches. I went to all sorts of different persuasions of Christianity, from Baptist to Assembly of God to, to anything I could find to maybe experience salvation. And this frustration went on for almost 10 years. As strange as it may seem, and I know I've shared this with you before, I asked Jesus to come into my heart as sincerely as I knew how at least 200 times, and his answer was always no. I began to believe that maybe I'd committed the unpardonable sin. Maybe Jesus was for everybody else, but not for me. Maybe he is a respecter of persons, and maybe I just didn't measure up until finally— I received him on his terms. I mean, he is sovereign. He is the Lord of the universe. He determines the terms for salvation. My terms were, I wanted to be Lord of my life. I just want you to get me out of a jam. I want you to be my get out of hell free card. I want you to be my genie in the bottle. I want you to be my co-pilot. But when it comes to calling all the shots, I'll take care of that. It was only 10 years later at 28 years of age that I received him on his terms, which is all or nothing, an absolute abject surrender to his sovereignty, that I got saved. And life has been changed ever since then. It works the same way with the higher Christian life. God places certain requirements on those people who want to have a deeper life with him. And those requirements are surrender and confession and repentance and absolute submission to him. And sometimes, sometimes, I know that's my experience, but sometimes, matter of fact, most of the time when you read these testimonies or talk to someone who 
is experiencing the higher Christian life. They will tell you that there is a season, there is a time between the asking and the fulfilling. We're asking for maybe more power. We're asking for maybe more of the Holy Spirit to help us in our job. We're asking for something over here. And it's not until we come to a realization that Christ doesn't want us to work with his power, but he wants to work through us in his power that the higher Christian life is obtained. Let me give you a few examples that we've already talked about this week. Oswald Chambers, the author of My Utmost for His Highest, when he was in seminary and college, he realized he wanted this deeper spiritual life. He wanted this, as he called it, a baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he prayed for it, and he prayed earnestly for it, and it was four years later before God answered that prayer. And so what was his life in the meantime? Here's what he says in his own words. He said, between the time of his praying, those four years and the time of the fulfillment, he said, quote, nothing but the overruling grace of God and the kindness of friends kept me out of an asylum. Why? Because I'm in internal anguish, knowing who I am and where I am in my relationship with him and who I want to be, and where I want to be in my relationship with him. And it's killing me. It's horrible. It's my dark night of the soul. Amy Carmichael, the famed missionary to India, for her it was only two years. When she was 16 years old, she gave her life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Justification was secured, and she knew she was going to heaven. But it was two years later, when she was 18, that she surrendered her all to him. And if you know her life, the rest is history. Andrew Murray, that I talked about a couple days ago, last week, who's my spiritual mentor, who's the one whose books taught me so much about the Holy Spirit, in Andrew Murray's words in his testimony, it was seven or eight years between his seeking and his ultimately receiving what he called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where his life became so different that the Holy Spirit wrote through him all the books that we read today about abiding in Christ, with Christ in the school of prayer, divine healing, and all those things, those devotional books that move us closer to the Lord. And during those seven or eight years, he defines his spiritual life as, quote, a time of deep dissatisfaction, deep dissatisfaction, knowing where he was and knowing what is obtainable out there and just not yet able to receive it. Sunday, I shared with you the life of Dr. Walter Wilson, who wrote Whose Body Is It? and has that prayer that I shared with you about how to how he committed his life to the Holy Spirit. For Dr. Wilson, it was much longer than that. In his testimony he gave at a Canadian Keswick conference, he said that he was saved in December of 1896, but did not experience the blessing of the higher Christian life until January 14, 1914, which is almost eight years. 18 years later, 18 years later. 
Charles Finney, on the other hand, that we talked about on Monday, last Monday, who was used primarily to begin the Second Great Awakening here in the United States, his salvation and his filling of the Holy Spirit, his experience with the higher Christian life was almost instantaneous. It happened at the exact same time. So God deals with individual people the way he wants to. Some people wait in Dr. Wilson's situation for 18 years. In Finney's situation, it happens almost instantaneous. I don't know how it will be with you. But I do know that there's a couple roadblocks that are standing between you and a deeper relationship with him, just like there were roadblocks in my life that stood that way for years. But there is hope, and the hope is simply this. Almost every one of these people testify to the truth of this statement. God never gives us a desire that he will not ultimately fulfill. And if God has placed in you a desire for the higher Christian life, persevere, and he will fulfill that in his time. So I'm often asked this question, will I fail? at trying to obtain the higher Christian life? And to be candidly blunt with you, the answer is that depends on you. That's totally up to you and no one else. God is no respecter of persons, but if you fail, it's usually because of one of two reasons, maybe both. And the reasons I'm going to give you are the same reason that almost everyone who fails or has yet to attain the higher Christian life as they've been striving for it, say this is why it hasn't happened. And let me give you briefly those two reasons so you'll be on guard to know what to expect. Number one, your desire is simply too low. You don't care enough. In order to receive the higher Christian life, you must desire it passionately, without reservation, no matter what, like a deer panting for the water brook, so my soul pants after you. We talked about 1 Timothy 3, 12, which says this, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, the promise is, will suffer persecution. Persecution, like spiritual fruit, is like an outward sign of your desire. If you desire for more spiritual fruit and you stay connected to the vine, to Jesus, like in John 15, you will produce an abundant amount of fruit. And if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. If you're not suffering persecution and you're not bearing spiritual fruit, it's usually because the desire is too low. I have a desire for this world. I have a desire for my job. I have a desire to pay my house off. I have a desire to to live easy in life, to raise my kids, to take a vacation, to build for retirement. But a desire to live godly in Christ doesn't even measure up with those. And until your desire raises itself to the point that it is the number one desire in your life, you most likely will not find a fulfillment of the higher Christian life coming your way, and you still will be in that limbo land, that dissatisfaction land, the the uneasiness of knowing where you are and what you could be, but you just don't want it bad enough. There is always a cost involved when we try to be the best at something. No matter what it is, there's always a cost involved, and that is especially true in our spiritual lives as we seek the higher Christian life. And number two, the second reason 
is usually that the cost is too high. We understand that there's a cost involved, but my desire is not enough to make me overcome the cost that's involved. If I want to accomplish something in life, and it doesn't matter what it is, there's always a cost involved. If a man builds a business and he decides to build an IT business and he works for three or four years and then sells it to Google or somebody like that and becomes a millionaire, he always tells the stories about all the costs that was involved. Oh yeah, we worked 18 hour days. We slept in our car. We ate nothing but take out Chinese food for like three years, but it was well worth it because at the end, look, I'm now a millionaire and we applaud that. Well, there's a cost involved. I mean, he didn't see his kids For three years, he wasn't there with his wife building that relationship, but the end result was so great that it made the cost worthwhile. Anything that we want to do involves a cost. And if we want to strive to be more like Jesus, it's going to cost us something, and it's going to cost the people that we love something. Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 33, that before you decide to be a disciple of his, you need to count the cost. Count the cost. And the end statement that he makes in this passage about counting the cost says this, so likewise, based on the examples he just gave, whoever of you does not forsake all, abandon all, reject and forget all that he has cannot be my disciple. When it comes to the higher Christian life, the forsaking of all is usually not money. The forsaking of all is you surrendering you to him, giving your life in obedience to him, loving him more than anything. So what are we to do? Again, the purpose of this is to let you begin to build a desire and to understand the cost is involved to achieve something that you only dreamed could possibly happen. For those of you who've counted the cost, And those of you who long for him more than anything, more than the air that you breathe, the blessing is the fact that if God places a desire in your heart, he will always fulfill it. That your blessing of a higher Christian life will come if that desire is deep enough and if the cost is worth paying. Let me close today by reading to you again from Dr. Walter Wilson. I handed this out to you on Sunday. Just the simple prayer after years of him anguishing over it, where he finally devoted his life totally to the Lord. And when I read this prayer to you, I think it will help you understand what's involved in being totally submitted to him. This is his words. Here's what he says. Quote, I said to the Holy Spirit, My Lord, I have mistreated you all my Christian life. I have treated you like a servant. When I wanted you, I called for you. When I was about to engage in some work, I beckoned you to come and help me perform my task. I have kept you in the place of a servant. 
I have sought to use you only as a willing servant to help me and my self-appointed chosen work, even if that work is ministry. I shall do so no more. Just now, here's the prayer he prayed for absolute submission. Just now, I give you this body of mine. From my head to my feet, I give it to you. I give you my hands, my limbs, my eyes, my lips, my brain, all that I am within and without, I hand over to you for you to live the life that you please through it. It's not about me anymore. It's about you. Therefore, you may send this body to Africa or lay it on a bed with cancer. Implied, I don't care. It's not my body. It belongs to you. You may blind the eyes or send me with your message to Tibet. I, I don't care. It, my body is no longer mine. It belongs to you. You may take this body to the Eskimos or send it to the hospital with pneumonia. I don't care. This body is no longer mine. It belongs to you. He continues, it is your body from this moment on. Help yourself to it. Thank you, my Lord. I believe that you have accepted it. For Romans 12, 1 says, acceptable to God. Thank you again, my Lord, for taking me. We now belong to each other. That is a prayer of consecration that cannot be taken lightly. That usually is preceded by a time of self-examination and reflection and confession and rededication back to the Lord. It is my prayer and my desire for every one of you that someday and someday soon you will come to the point in your life, to a crisis in your life, that you will pray like Dr. Walter Wilson prayed and surrender your body and your life to him totally and irrevocably. Because when that happens, the true adventure with Christ begins as we experience the higher Christian life. I hope this has been a blessing to you. Have a great Monday, and I will talk with you again tomorrow.